On today's episode of Urban Puritano, we celebrate the Reformation. Our text is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. All Christians are urban Christians. Whether you live in Graceville, Florida, or Chicago, Illinois, the believer is on a pilgrim's journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. As we endeavor to live unto God in this world, our faith looks for the city which is to come, whose architect and builder is the living God. You are not alone on your journey. As you travel the narrow way, know that a great cloud of witnesses went before you. Many travel alongside you, and while the Lord tarries, many will follow the same path after you. But until the heavenly city is brought to us, or we to it, one such pilgrim is your fellow traveler. He is Urban Puritano. In Christian circles, it is often said that the gospel is so simple that a child can understand and embrace it, while at the same time, it is so deep that philosophers and theologians can study its truths for a lifetime. According to scripture, even angels contemplate and ponder the gospel's message. Whether in its rudimentary principles or its systematic expression, Romans chapter 1, 16, and 17 are two key verses in a key biblical book that speaks to us concerning the gospel. Before concentrating on our text, it would be beneficial to give a brief treatment of the thrust of Romans 1 before we focus on the theme of verses 16 and 17. The gospel of God is a message concerning his son Jesus Christ, who was born in the lineage or family line of David. This message originated with God and he revealed his plan and promises concerning Christ through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This message is also described as the gospel of his son, because through the Son, who was resurrected from the dead, we have received grace. The gospel, then, is a message of grace or unmerited favor for sinners among all nations. Now, why would this message even be necessary? Moreover, why would God's Son have to be incarnated, humiliated, and die in order for God's grace to be extended to sinners? After all, if Jesus resurrected from the dead, then that means he was exalted after he was humiliated. What does that say about God? What does that say about us? One implication is that whether you start with God or with people, the predicament outside of God's grace in the Christ of the Holy Scriptures, there is nothing but bad news. Namely, due to our fallen condition, as rebellious and guilty sinners before a just and holy God, we stand condemned by Him, and nothing we do will overturn His verdict. This is very bad news indeed. However, as we have been looking at the thrust of the verses preceding our text in Romans 1, 16-17, we see that by God's unmerited favor in the person and work of Christ, the gospel is not simply a message of some news that you can take or leave, but in light of your irremediable predicament, it is good news. 
That is what the gospel means. Good news for the sinner. What does our text concerning the gospel say? Our text is Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. I read from the New King James Version and the Word of God says the following, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is the word of God. Let us pray for illumination. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel. Help us to understand it, not only today, but forever. Thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, we find an abbreviated declaration of what the gospel is all about. Among other things that we will consider, the Apostle Paul declares he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. My question for you is, what does the gospel message consist of that not only causes us no shame, but from which we might derive our highest honor? What does the gospel message consist of? In the first place, the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Again, the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Given the miserably hopeless predicament that man's fallen condition and position before the just tribunal of a holy God represents, the gospel has to be the power of God to salvation. In order for the gospel to be good news, this necessarily means that the gospel cannot be a self-help message. It cannot be a positive-thinking personal philosophy. It cannot be a well-meant offer. Neither can it be a political ideology. It is not a message of signs, wonders, or prosperity. It is not a message of human origin. The message of the gospel cannot be these things, and much less is it a message of human ability to bridge the gulf between ourselves and God. If the gospel included any of these things, we would have much to be ashamed about. None of the aforementioned examples of false gospels has ever had or could possibly ever have the power to change neither our condition or position before the just tribunal of a holy God. They would utterly disappoint. However, the true gospel of God found in the Holy Scriptures concerns the potency or power of God. Question. If the gospel is the power of God, what effect is produced by it? The answer is found in our verse. Nothing more and nothing less than salvation. According to the Holy Scriptures, before our salvation, our sins deceived us. We lived our lives according to any standard except the law of God. We lived by the world's fluctuating standards, society's convenient standards, our culture's popular standards, any standards except God's standards. In this ordinary, self-deceiving lifestyle, we wallowed in and actively cultivated an enmity 
with the living God. In doing so, we not only courted spiritual death, but we embraced it. This sin of living our lives according to our own standards not only deceives, it blinds us and hardens us to the spiritual reality we all deserve, the just wrath of God. As bad as the temporal consequences of sin are, and they are many and myriad, the greatest consequence is the eternal enmity existing between God and ourselves. Certainly, now as believers we confess, if God is for us, who can be against us? But have you pondered your previous condition before believing the gospel? If you do not presently believe the gospel, you must ask yourself, if God is against me, who can be for me? You see, when God saves, he saves us from himself for himself. Whereas before we were born into and shaped by sin, whereas before we were children of wrath, now we can be children of God by the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation. Never forget, beloved, that the spiritual sentence against sin is executed with the same potency required for salvation, nothing less than divine potency. But it is to the glory of God and for the good of sinners that the gospel concerns the potency or power of God to affect and infallibly produce and cause our salvation. This is why we can begin to understand why there is absolutely no reason to be ashamed, as the Apostle Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is such a message with such an effect to save those who were hopelessly lost, hopelessly separated enemies of God, and totally undeserving of it. There can be no greater news for us than the gospel. In fact, the gospel is our greatest honor. Now, our text highlights who may partake of the gospel and make it their highest honor. Is it reserved for one people group, one ethnicity, one race, one population, or continent? The answer is given in the second half of verse 16. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The gospel may be partaken of by everyone with absolutely no hindrances or exclusions based on such distinctions in culture or history. Now, one may belong to a group whose dealings with God were more intimate than other groups in the past. The biblical narrative certainly records the great privileges enjoyed by the Jewish people. The Apostle Paul here simply takes Jew and Greek as representative of those who need the gospel, because as Matthew Henry stated, Jews and Gentiles are both equally miserable without a Savior, and therefore both equally welcome to the Savior. It was the prerogative of God to commence with the Jewish nation, for the Jew first, but it was equally God's prerogative to continue with the Gentiles, also for the Greek. And so we see that the gospel is not reserved for one people group, ethnicity, race, language, population, culture, or continent. It redounds to the glory of God and the good of the sinner that the gospel is about the potency or power of God to achieve and produce the effect of our salvation, whomever we may be, 
and wherever we may come from. The gospel is for everyone who believes. God saw our need and our miserable plight. No matter what your background, all of our first parents, Adam and Eve, failed. No help is to be found in being the descendants of the crown of creation. No matter how privileged, the law and Mosaic covenant cannot help you. Neither King David nor any political figure can help you. Neither the high priests of Israel nor the pagan polytheist priests of your ancestors can do anything for you but disappoint and bring you to shame. Our only hope and our only help can only ever come from God because salvation belongs to the Lord. We continue with our text and develop further what the gospel message consists of. We started by saying the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And now we want to open up. Number two, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith and by faith. Again, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith and by faith. Given our sinful condition and our hopeless predicament, how can the gospel possibly offer us hope if the gospel reveals the righteousness of God? We are unjust and God is holy and righteous. Wouldn't it be better if the gospel was about any attribute of God other than his righteousness? Better to talk about his paternal patience that will wait for us like a grandfather in heaven to save ourselves. Better to talk about the wisdom and omniscience of God. Most people would much rather the gospel be about anything else except the righteousness of God. But if the righteousness of God as an attribute isn't a sinner's friend, neither are any of the other attributes of God. The attributes of God are God. His knowledge, patience, wisdom, power, sovereignty, benevolence, love, immutability, and all his other divine attributes are righteous. So there is no escaping or ignoring the righteousness of God. Given our sinful condition, the righteousness of God isn't exactly our friend. I repeat my question. How can the gospel possibly offer us hope if the gospel reveals the righteousness of God? Here, beloved listener, we find the heart of Christianity, true biblical Christianity. Here, we find the difference between the true Christian faith and every other religious system, including fraudulent, cultural, and nominal Christianity. Every false gospel teaches that however bad our predicament might be, we can do something to earn or contribute to obtaining God's approval and favor. Every false gospel teaches that however righteous God may be, he has a retributive justice that will be satisfied by what we can muster and offer to him. Every false gospel makes it as much good news for God as for the sinner. But the true gospel found in the scriptures clearly teaches that before God, even our own righteous deeds are as filthy rags. The true gospel maximally upholds God's holiness and maximally abases man's merit. Mankind has no merit. That is why the gospel is a message of unmerited favor, and it can only ever be that because of who we are and who God is.
this bad news notwithstanding, the gospel is good news that reveals something utterly shocking. In the gospel, God is revealing his willingness to supply the only form of righteousness that can prevail before his just tribunal, namely, the righteousness he himself graciously provides. This provision of the righteousness of God is the only righteousness that obtains his approval, given our miserable plight. This righteousness of God prevails not only before the tribunal of God for our unrighteous deeds, but also for whatever we may pretend to be our righteous deeds. God, by his grace alone, is revealed to be willing to provide his righteousness to us who need it so desperately above all else. This is the gospel. Outside of this good news, there is no salvation. It is this simplicity and profundity that either causes rejoicing or stumbling. True Christianity, thus, leaves absolutely no place or no room for boasting before men and much less before God. The true gospel of Christianity maintains with Scripture that God in His grace, seeing we had no righteousness of our own, provides for us His righteousness so that we may stand before Him and be justly declared righteous. None of this is initiated by us, much less merited. All of it is by God's design and provision from beginning to end. This brings to our immediate attention the relationship and role of faith in the salvation message of the gospel. Given that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God is his provision of righteousness to us, not in any way on the grounds or as a result of our pretended righteous deeds, how can we access God's gracious provision? I want to point out that nowhere in scriptures is the good news of the gospel of salvation presented as something that we can earn by our good works. So if not by our good works, how do we have access to God's gracious provision of his righteousness? The apostle has emphasized in verses 16 and 17 the role of faith or belief in the salvation message of the gospel. Remember, it is the power of God to salvation for everyone, not who merits it by earning it, but for everyone who believes. It is as the Apostle Paul stated, from faith to faith. The role of faith or belief as pertains to the gospel is simply one of embracing the good news. It is the posture of despairing of ourselves and anything whatsoever we may think we can contribute to our own salvation and simply believing that the gospel is indeed good news for ourselves, both now and forever. If we can contribute nothing to our salvation, if we cannot merit the grace of God's provision of righteousness, then the only thing that comports with the gospel is embracing it by unadulterated faith or belief. True faith or belief in the gospel is an utterly self-effacing, unadulterated reliance upon an appropriation of God's provision of righteousness to ourselves. We access God's gracious gift by grabbing hold of it in belief. That this is so is confirmed in Philippians 3, 7-9, where the Apostle Paul says that the knowledge of Christ Jesus is excellent beyond comparison. 
He rejoices in Christ alone, not having my own righteousness, he says, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Do you see where the thrust of Romans 1 was heading? Do you see what the theme of verses 16 and 17 is focused on? More importantly, do you believe, dear listener, in the gospel of God's Son? You may say, I have faith, I believe. But do you believe that your own righteousness avails with God? If so, then you do not believe in the gospel. The gospel is good news only if the righteousness we have confidence in is of God. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. What do you live by? Do you live in the confidence of your own standards of righteousness? They are as filthy rags. Do you live in the false hope that God will regard your filthy rags of supposed righteousness on the day of judgment? You will be sorely disappointed and ashamed. The good news that the world and your own imagination holds up is not good news at all. But the true good news of the gospel of the scriptures is that God alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, provides his righteousness that we can access by faith alone. This is the glory of the gospel. Despite our demerit, despite our incapacity to obtain divine approval before God's just tribunal of justice, God exercises his power to save sinners and applies his own righteousness to our account. This is the posture the gospel puts the believer in. As we close, let us meditate on the essential truths that constitute the gospel message as summarized in Romans 1, 16 and 17. The gospel in its essence consists of the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes because it reveals the righteousness of God for our favor. This is a gospel that not only doesn't cause shame, but is worthy to be embraced as a gracious and glorious honor. So simple a child can understand it, so deep even angels contemplate it. What are you going to do with the gospel? I pray that you embrace it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are unworthy to stand in your holy presence, but you made a way, the only way, to be counted righteous in your sight. Your word testifies that you alone are our righteousness. We embrace and believe the gospel and rejoice that in doing so we embrace and believe in you and your only begotten Son, Christ Jesus, who alone earned your approval and paid the penalty for our sins. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us at Urban Puritano. We look forward to catching up with you on your next stop along your journey to the city prepared by God for all true believers. 